0: All right, so we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's going to be on verse 4, and we'll read that here in a second. But I was thinking, you know, when Ben asked me to preach on parenting, I have to admit it was a bit, um, it was a bit challenging to me to think about the idea. And I think what really sealed the deal for him was my 12-passenger van. I think that that was a qualifying event uh, for doing so. And uh, we find ways to fill up those seats all the time with as many friends as possible. But I was also thinking, as Rachel and I was talking about this, I've got 34 years of combined experience, right? 34 years? That's really not really a real number uh, when you talk about combined, but people use it all the time, right? Uh, But no, most importantly, obviously, it's the Word of God, and I I can sit here today um, and be thankful that I had godly parents It poured into my life and showed me the way in which I should go in Christ. So I come to you today not as a professional. Um, I come to you with many flaws as a parent, but lots of experience, and most importantly, the Word of God that is what ultimately does the work in our lives. So as we go through Ephesians, as we see this idea of what our calling here as parents Um, I'm reminded back to the beginning of the series, we talked about two things that I think speak specifically to us as Christian parents to be able to walk this out. If You remember our first message, Ben spoke to us and a couple of us spoke to us on what what it meant and who we were in Christ. So the ability to be a godly parent is first possible because of who Christ is in us and that he's called us. And then secondly, we moved on to another message on the spirit-filled life and that the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is what allows us to walk out the things of Christ and have the ability and to be able to walk in obedience and follow His commands because of, one, who we are in Christ, and because of that, it's the outward sign of what we do. So it's no different here. As, like I said, being this was a very big message on parenting, um, Rachel and I sat down and we went through the message, and I obviously wanted her perspective on this as, as my amazing wife and mother of my children, And we kind of came up with this idea that parenting makes us realize more than any other thing that we cannot do this without him, and we are totally dependent on him. In our own strength, we realize that this thing is too big for us, and the truth is is we need Christ working in our lives in this. So I was looking at the progression of the text, you know, he spoke to the wives, and then he spoke to the husbands. And then he spoke to the marriage relationship, and we're a little bit out of order this week. He, next he went to the children, and then he went to the parents. But as you see that develop throughout Scripture, he's Paul's intentionality in each area of us and how it works in the family unit ultimately coming together to where we are now in this idea of parenting. But guess what? There's only one verse there's only one verse for this big deal. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Simple, right? One verse, that's it. Not too much to do as a parent, correct? You know that's not true. But as we go through this message, what I want us to see other than the truths of God's Word, for all of you that are in this, um, in this part of your life where you're parenting at some level, Remember that we serve a God of grace, and as we walk through this, and as we understand his truths, I want us to make sure and see that he has that same thing for us as parents. I feel like there should have been more than one verse, right, in this section, and obviously there's more in, in the Bible, but it's like, wow, one verse. This is, might be one of the most complicated things I've ever done in my life. Whenever you say that, or if you say that you have walked through it, you say that was one of the most... Complicated things, right? Because when does parenting really end, right? Right? It really doesn't. And you know, some of you here today may be sitting here and thinking, this is, not only is this the toughest thing, I don't even understand how to continue. I don't even understand where to go, what to do. But my encouragement to you is, is that the Word of God is your encouragement. The body of Christ that God has placed around you is why you keep going. It's why it's worth Fighting for church, it's worth fighting for. As I was thinking about my progression through life, and which would be similar to many of you, I think about the conversations Rachel and I had before we had kids. Right, remember those conversations? Who is watching those kids? Did they see what that kid just did when we have kids? Oh. That's a dangerous one, right? When we have kids, man, I am so, so more humble and appreciative to parents now, right? But you didn't have any idea. Your, your perspective was one of which had no experience, right? Now, you might have had great ideas. You might have had some really cool things that you thought of. And prayerfully, God walked you through those. But then you get to the next stage where you start having kids. And the first one, and when you're in that hospital... It's just, a, it's just so exciting, at least for me, you know, for me. I, you women, I'm sure excitement came at some point, um, you know, and, but, you know, the, just all the things, you know, we was talking about it before service, and, and, and Ben mentioned this, and I just remember, like, it was like my walk down Celebrity Road when he was walking down the hospital. He was coming down, you were getting checked in, you know, your poor wife was about to be tortured for hours. Um, and, you know, by the time we got through all of our children, we were pretty well known at the uh, Thibodeau, um, Thibodeau Women's Center. You know, so it was, uh, we, w- we were going to buy one of those squares. No, I'm joking. Um, but, you know, those were great times. And then, and then we got home the first night. Wow. It didn't stop. It didn't stop. And I'm like, it's like 4 or 5 in the morning, and I'm like, what have we done? And there's no return policy, right? You can't bring them back. And uh, so we're sitting there and, um, but then I also do remember in that same moment, it was a blessing in the same token because obviously you missed out on sleep. And if you've learned anything that I've learned, sleep is uh, optional um, in most of our lives, right? We're sustained other ways. So you go through the little baby years and then you get, um, we're currently where I am, where my kids are, they're starting to want to make their own decisions, the nerve of them <laughs> to think that they have that right. As we'll go through, you'll find out that they do have that right. Um, but the, the truth is, is just as we move through each area, it's not that one minimizes another. Um, it's not that one's harder than the other. Um, I think where you are is where you are. And when you look back, like many things, you just see it in a different perspective, but the truth is, as parents, as we go through these different stages of of rearing our children, and ultimately to the place of in Christ, it just comes with struggles, right? But God's given us some very clear things here. Let's look at our first point today. It's going to be titled "The Calling is Serious." The calling is serious. I'm going to read the verse for you again. Fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring to provoke them to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it starts there, fathers, and all the ladies think they're off the hook, right? Well you would be wrong. Uh, First of all, the in Hebrews eleven, twenty three, just to kind of show you some context, um, it says, By faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents. The word we see here for parents is the very same word that we see here for father in the text. So and 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 Paul as he's been going through, he's been dealing with who? the men and the women. So the logical progression here is that we're continuing to speak to the parent unit as a whole, the husband and the wife, but in fact, he is putting an emphasis on the fathers in the same token because men, we are set by God to be the leaders of our homes, which means you are the leader in the parenting relationship. So it does go both ways and the emphasis is there. And I was thinking just on the importance of fathers and I was doing some research years back Um, with men's meeting, and some of you may have heard this story, but there was a uh, Kruger National Park in South Africa. Anybody ever been there? Ah, we've got one. Amazing. I I have not I've only read about it. But they were experiencing a problem in the national park with the elephant herd. Uh, There was just just too many of them, obviously the natural overpopulation problem. So the wildlife agents there came up with a relocation plan um, in order to thin out the herd. So obviously, uh, an elephant doesn't move very well. Um, there's, not, there's not many um, trailers designed to haul elephants. So what they had come up with was this sling uh, to where they would airlift the elephants to an adjacent reserve. So everything was going fine. They were moving the mama elephants. They were moving the juveniles. And when they got to start moving the big bull elephants, they ran into a problem. The harness and the lifting stuff wasn't capable to do so. So they kind of abandoned that idea of the project, and they set everything into place, got everything going, and they began to start doing their testing and their analysis of, of how it was affecting the population. And they started noticing in this adjacent reserve that they brought them to, they, they kept coming up against just dead rhinoceros. So if you know anything about a rhinoceros, it's a pretty, pretty beastly type of animal. There's not many things that, that kill rhinoceroses. And so they were like, man, what is going on there? Initial thoughts were poaching. Um, so they began to, to set out to see what was going on. They started doing some surveillance. And what they noticed is, is that the juvenile male elephants were just in complete chaos and gone around just stomping these animals and goring them and killing them, which was completely against their, their nature. It's not something that's, although they have the ability to do so, it's not something they've done. So they said, man, what has gone wrong? What is the deal? And one of the scientists got to think about it, he said, you know what? He said, we didn't bring any bull elephants over here so they go back they reconstruct the harness and lift system they put in a couple of bull elephants and do you know in an instant the rhinoceros stuff stopped there was no more because then the male influence in that in that family unit stepped in and said no this is not how elephants act we don't do this and it was an immediate change. And, of course, they had great success in the thing, and now they know how to make bigger hornuses for the bigger elephants. But the truth is, fathers, you have a critical role. And we're just talking about an elephant there. But when you take into consideration what it means to be a human father, it takes it up to a whole nother level. And your impact in your home and in your family matters for eternity. And your legacy is counting on it. We went to this past week, too, and just we went watch Lego Movie 2. Who went to see Lego Movie 2, the second part? The Lego Movie 2, the second part. Lego is so funny. Dominic got me. I know. I knew you did. Um, and, and there's one part where, um, and I won't s- s- spoil it for you. I guess i do not know sure you can spoil the Lego movie. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the mom walks in and she's having the kids pick up the, the toys because she's just stepped on one of the Legos. follow you have stepped on Legos. Which, mind you, I have no concerns of anyone breaking into my house. Uh, because they would, it'd be like Home Alone uh, when they come through with the Legos. But she tells the kids, "Pick up your stuff," and she gives them some sort of command. And of course, the kids give a little back talk. And from the, from the hall, from down the hall, you hear the dad say, "Kids, listen to your mom." And then, so then the mom kind of rolls her eyes and says, "Thank you, father, for your great contribution to our family." <laughs> um, and obviously, that's funny. But in the same token, it's it's really sad because it's a picture, unfortunately. Um, of, of where our culture has gone in certain ways. But, and they would tell you that child-rearing is, is for mothers, and the guy's job is to go out and do his thing. And I would tell you that is not true. The responsibility is for the mother and the father um, equally, and the man is to take leadership in that. Because you know, I think men, we struggle as fathers in two different ways. You, in, in the situation of that particular man was passivity, right? Sometimes it's easier just to do nothing. You just sit back and, and let it happen and, and not worry about it and kind of let the cards fall as they may, right? Well, they will fall. But where Paul's taking us here is this fight against this domineering uh, father. And he says about provoking uh, one to another. And in that time, and when Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, there was a lot of pagan influence, as we well know. And uh, there was a there was a term dubbed in that day, which is still even in place in some ways today, called patria potestas. Patria potestas, which is Latin for the power of the father, right? And this is this is what it dealt with. It meant the power of the head of a Roman family over his wife, children, agnatic descendants, slaves, and freedmen, including originally the right to punish by death, and always embracing complete control over the limited personnel and private rights and the duties of all members of the family. So the father was given this uh, obviously lopsided up opportunity and ability to just demand something of his family. The patriot potestas and if he if he thought that death was what was suiting, then that's what would happen and there was no recourse for him. So this is what Paul's talking to now. I would agree obviously in this day I don't think that that's a struggle we have per se here. But this idea of provoking goes much more than just to that, to that level. Um, Harvard University did a study with, it, it proved to be about 90% true, which is pretty good in studies. And they wanted to see in five and six-year-olds, um, depending on how they were reared, uh, would it lead to delinquency? Would it lead to delinquency? And look, these were the major components that they found were necessary so that delinquency would not happen. Because on the flip side, it did. Firstly, fathers were firm, fair, and consistent in their discipline. So, first of all, that means you've got to be there. Secondly, the mother's supervision and companionship was there throughout the day. The parents demonstrated affection for one another and for the children. And the families spent time together and participated in activities. And you sit here and you think, well, that's pretty logical, right? Makes sense. But the truth is, those elements, unfortunately, are so absent in the parenting relationship today. And specifically, unfortunately, even in Christian homes. Uh, you think, well, that's not a, that's not a Christian thing. No, this, is, this can affect anybody as a parent. And you know what's interesting, they, as I was going through this study, my ideas began to think, you know, that's, that's just what Scripture says, and as you'll see here. But no, see, the, the, the results um, don't dictate what scripture says scripture dictates what the results say right so scripture is the ultimate authority in why this is real and why this is true and as we go through here he first addressed the fathers and we're going to move to the next part of the text and he gives us two commands one of them has begins with a a, a negative aspect um, and the second one is going to be positive so it brings us to our second point and i took it right out the text do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. When you look at the word provoke, it means to rouse, to wrath, to provoke, to ask, exasperate, to anger. And actually, when you look in the text there, the word provoke and the word anger is actually the same word. So it would read similar to Fathers, do not anger your children to anger, um, is where it's going. And it's not speaking just that you make them angry in that moment or you anger them but it's a pattern of life that you begin to develop to where they begin to show the same outward sign of anger and provoking because of the life and the, and the, and the training, essentially, that they have had. Now, think about provoking. How many of you have ever been provoked in, your, in the workplace? Anybody? How'd you respond? Were you all excited, warm and fuzzy feeling inside, thankful for the provocation that took place no right it just it, it it just riles up an emotion in you that obviously we, we we don't like and we don't want to have a part of look colossians 321 says fathers do not provoke your children lest they what become discouraged and i think what ends up happening in this idea of provoking and we'll, as we will get to a little further we we, we may have good intentions um, we may see it as motivational, or we may see it as um, pointing out the issue and trying to navigate around the problem that you see. And then sometimes, guys, you're just mean, right? You're just, you're just nasty. Uh, maybe, you were, maybe that was shown in you as a child. And, and I, I want to speak to that for a second because none of us obviously grew up in this perfect setting. Um, some of us maybe had a, a better father figure than others. Uh, but what I what I have found is is if we're not careful, if we don't if we don't focus our eyes on Christ, what just happens is we we tend to allow that to define us in our in our walk as a believer, and and if we're not careful, what it ends up being is an, is a a crutch or an excuse, and we realize well I can't do anything different because this is me that's not true church. That's not true. We serve a God that restores and makes new. What does it say? That we are a new creation that takes place. You are not who you were anymore. What happened in your life happened. And to God's glory, he's going to use it for you to affect the next generation and your children and your family. Don't stay there in that place that you're stuck. You are absolutely not stuck because of the work that Christ has done in your life. Because of who he is, is why. But I want to give us eight ways in which we provoke our children. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is kind of a, um, I wouldn't say generic, but probably a, a summarization. The first one is overprotection. Overprotection. And that one there is one where I think sometimes we have good intentions. Um, for for the obvious reasons, we're called to care for and to, and to nurture and to watch over but unfortunately, if we're not careful with that, what you end up doing is you provoke them to the place where they despise it. And they have no ability to, to have thoughts and to have ideas and to make decisions. Because as, you, as we're going to get a little bit further, you need them to make decisions in order for you to parent well. Um, so this first idea is, you know, is overprotection. Be careful of that. Secondly is favoritism in comparison, right? So if you have one kid, they're your favorite, and you only compare them to themselves. So this one's a little difficult, possibly, unless you go outside of the family unit and begin to compare them to other children. But people don't do that in your homes. Don't sit there and celebrate someone else's success in the face of someone else's failure. They're not the same kids. What does Scripture tell us? To train them up in the way that they should go. Each one of your children has been uniquely designed by God to have a particular impact and focus in their life. And when you do that, you begin to say to them without saying that what God has for them is not as relative as what God has for them. And I realize that that's maybe a stretch, you would say, but the truth is that's what ultimately ends up happening. You begin provoking this view in their life also overbearing goals and things that are unrealistic or possibly maybe you're living your life through your child you know maybe you didn't make the baseball team uh, but they will right sports is obviously always a really good opportunity for it, but i'm reminded of it constantly that my kid doesn't need that from me in those moments you know chances are if you look at the statistics very few people are going to do anything other than just recreationally play sports right but when you look at the amount of people that drive their kids to the place that there's a guarantee of something past that, um, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I see it so much now when, when I attend um, sports with my kids, and, you, and there's the fathers that just, I mean, you see the poor children that just cower away from anything. And that's, and that's extreme, but there's, they're being provoked. Or maybe it's not sports, maybe it's you want them to be a certain something when they get older. So there's a constant, constant, constant struggle of forcing this on them. Now, I'm not talking about motivating and encouragement and the, the right way in which we lead them. I'm talking about the things that are overbearing and are unrealistic. Well, what about this one? Parents failing to sacrifice. The kids kind of just get in the way, right? It's, uh, you're just trying to get through, get them out the way and do something else. Not allowing your children to grow at a normal pace. I, I see this as the toughest spot for me with a, with a firstborn child, because they're first, right? They're the guinea pig of your family. I was the guinea pig of my family. My mom tells me about it all the time, and I'm okay with it, you know. But the truth is, is you, I begin to look at what I expected of of my firstborn, and it somehow just seems to change for the for the rest of them down the line. We begin, we we, we forget because they're all moving you know, in the same amount of time, and they're developing, and we kind of forget that, you know what, the second kid was the same age that the first kid once was, you know, and how that comparison works, and just being careful to let them grow where God has them. You know, God has them at a, as an eight-year-old in a certain grade to a certain thing because he's teaching them things that an eight-year-old needs to know about Christ so that as he grows older, he can move that on to the nine-year-old status, Be intentional in the age in which your kid is at that time. Don't use love as a tool for reward and punishment. Love is unconditional. We don't extend love when they do something well and withdraw it when they do something wrong. Love is always a part. And, of course, any type of physical or verbal abuse. Now, let's look at the flip side of this. Eight again. We looked at overprotection appropriate protection allowing for mistakes to take place because when mistakes take place within the confines of your protection as a parent you're able to you're able to bring instruction and you're able to coach them through that and most importantly you're able to help them respond and listen to was the holy spirit speaking to you in that moment did you feel like you should not have done what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? They need to understand at a young age, if, especially once they've named Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they are a child of God, that they are able to respond to the unction of the Holy Spirit. Instead of favoritism and comparison, showing them who they are individually in Christ, right? The way in which they should go. Giving them attainable goals that point them to Christ. As you're going to see here, the, the, it's going to repeat over, and it's going to be the influence of Christ, and it's not you. Encouraging them despite their highs and lows. You know, the things that they make mistakes in, the things that they fail in, be there to encourage those moments. And then once again, encourage them in Christ and who they are. Sacrifice in a way that shows Christ in your own life. Let them see you as a parent doing things not only sacrificial for them, but for the people around you. That they see that you have a heart and a desire to reach out to the people around you. Celebrating where they are and what God is teaching them. What did you learn in Sunday school today? What things are you thinking about? What's going on at school? What are your friends saying? What did you say? And this idea of of cultivating a, a relationship of honesty. Letting love define you as a parent because that's what God commands us. And I've come to realize one thing, we've been studying through this, and I feel like it applies almost to every conversation I've had in the last few weeks. But this idea of love and what it, what it really means, and, and for you to show love and for you to extend love to your kids un, 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 um, when, they, when they don't desire it or don't deserve it, is we need to understand what we've been forgiven of as a believer and what Christ has done in our life and what we really. And when we understand forgiveness, then love happens. We don't love, and then we understand forgiveness. We understand forgiveness, and then we walk in love. And letting your hands and your words bring life in your family. Let them bring life in your family. So it gives us this idea of not provoking, and he takes us here to this next one. He gives us a nice, amazing transition word, but. He says, but, and then he brings us the positive command, which brings us to our third point, that we should bring them up, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When you look at that word, bring them up, in the Greek it actually means to bring to maturity, to nourish to maturity. And notice they use the word up. It's a process in which we build them up and we nourish them, uh, similar to which we would for a plant um, or different Organic items, but look what it says here in Ephesians five twenty nine. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That word nourish there is the same word as bringing up, bring them up. So we see it as a as a relative thing in our walk as a a, a married couple and the relationship of the husband with the father. And the same thing moves down the line when parents do with their children. There's a nourishing that takes place. There's a bringing up that takes place. Psalms 144.12 in the uh, NIV says, Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. What's a well-nurtured plant? One is doing well, right? It looks, it looks good, it's full, it's, it's given off fruit. And then our daughters would be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. You know, when you think about a palace and the very structure that's there and the beauty that comes from all the different styles, there's, that's a process to get that to where it was. There's a building up that takes place and is, and is what makes them set apart and what gives us the opportunity. So you say, well, how do we, how do, we do this? Disciplining in this um, in this instruction, well, Jewish culture, which many of you heard, they had what was called the Shema. Anybody ever heard of the Shema? Well, basically, it's it's Deuteronomy six four through nine. But in Jewish culture, this was something that would have been recited twice a day. It was something that was of high influence and high interest in their culture. And the major emphasis on it, as we read through the text, is the the sovereignty of God and who he was, and because they understand who who God was and their lives and his provider, then they begin to be able to connect it to their lives as parents. So let's let's read it here, Deuteronomy six, four through nine. It says Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk of them when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way, and when they lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. that should be it there 's a verse ten, but that 's end on this part so there 's this picture that he gives us here of how we do this, how we walk this out with our children, but the dominating influence is the Word of God, is the power of who God is. Uh, I know, one, you know in, our, in our family there's different ways to do it, but you can, you can steal this one if you like. You, you may not because of the time. Um, but every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, I get up the whole family and we gather in one of our rooms and, and we study through Scripture. Now, I've had many people say, why 6 o'clock? Right? Well, I'm up, first of all. Um, so it's no big deal there. They're going to get up 30 minutes later, so it doesn't cut into any of their preparation for school. But most importantly, there's nothing else going on. We're able to set aside the time and we're able to go through and we read through the text and obviously we pray, we have each other share and it's, and, it, and it's not something that's this big long list. I mean, you, it's relative to what's going on, but it was a way for us to be intentional in the discipline of our children. Because the truth is, it's not going to happen anywhere else. And it's not supposed to happen anywhere else. It's supposed to happen in your home. And the emphasis has to be on the Word of God. So let's look at some of the practical things here in this particular text. First of all, it says, when you sit in your house. So remember, it talks about when are you going to talk about the things of God? When are you going to pour into your children's life? It tells us right there, when you sit in your house. So when you sit in your house, that's an opportunity, right? Then it says, when you walk by the way. And then it says, when you lie down and when you rise. So, obviously, it's, it's covered all of our bases. You're usually in life sitting, uh, walking, uh, or lying down, right? Pretty much covers most of those opportunities. And, you know, we've taken it, um, we've taken it very little. Re- years ago, Rachel had done a study on this and as we were talking about it. And, you know, one thing that we, we're intentional to do is, you know, supper times obviously an amazing time for that, but each, but each night... Uh, be, before bed, there's a, um, a tuck-in regiment that takes place. Um, and I can tell you in those times where we've sat there and we've, we've obviously prayed and you know sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious, we've learned more things about our kids in those moments than we probably would have ever learned at any other time. Because you have their attention, you have the opportunity to engage them, guards are down, you're laying down, you're in your bed, it's a, it's a place where it's just... Um, it's, it's easy, and we've had the opportunity, and I'll tell you, it's, God is amazing, the work that he does in those moments when you can just hear the heart of your child and respond accordingly and, and point them to Christ in that. And then he talks there about that you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. You know, hands, um, obviously, the, the, in Jewish culture, they actually would do a thing with some leather strapping where they would tie... Uh, the elements of the Torah to them, and when they would do their prayer time, they literally took it, they took it very literally, Um, and they would have these scriptures, and they would have them in their hands, and they would hold them between their eyes as they would pray, but it goes even further than that. When it speaks of our hands and our mind, there's this picture here that our, our hands, our hands represent our obedience to God's commands, that as we walk out, we, are, we obey the commands of Christ. And then the frontlets between our eyes is our mind that we constantly meditate on the Word of God. And we're training our children to constantly meditate on the Word of God. And when they have a question, they bring it to the Word of God. And then the way in which that they view the world around them will be through the lens of Scripture. Not through what culture has given them, not through what good ideas are, but that they would look through the lens of Scripture. And some people say, well, that's narrow-minded, and I would say you are correct. It is, but it is the only way that is right and the only way that brings true change in the life of a child. And and ultimately, when an adult, this idea of obeying God's command has been cultivated for years and for years and for years, and it's not all of a sudden this amazing thing they've got to overcome. That will happen, and God is capable to overcome that. But But as parents, our calling is to cultivate this heart and then write them. That we write regular reminders of God's goodness. It says to write them on your doorposts and at your gates. You know, when you walk into your home, you want to create an environment whether it be the putting up of Scripture in certain places, whether it's the sticky notes on the mirrors, whether it's a note that you leave for your kids, whether it's the chant that you do before you leave the home. I've always wanted to put something over my door on the exit to my house. You know, like when you go in a locker room and people hit it on the way out, you know? I just think that would be cool, right? My wife. (laughs) I think the fingerprints probably would be a problem. Um, But, you know, you want your home to to emulate him, to show that this is a home that is set apart for Christ. And that every opportunity that they have, they see Scripture, that they see the truth of who God is and the faithfulness of who God is. And in your conversations, Jesus is mentioned regularly. And you speak to who he is in your life and how he's affected you. And, 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 and look, it's important that you do it, obviously, when things are exciting and high, but you bring glory to God when the worst situation's happening in your home. Because they need to understand that God is the answer and that in obedience to him and his commands is what is right and what he's called us to. But then he breaks it down a little bit further here. And he says, in the second part he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he gives us a very specific, that this is not just a general discipline. This is the discipline of the Lord. Uh, When we look at the word discipline, the, the way it defines in that language there would have been the whole training and education of a child. It specifically speaks to that of a child. The root word for discipline is child. So it's speaking to a young boy, a young girl, specifically there. But our natural thought when we think of discipline is what? Whipping, heard somebody say, right? Well, I, I mean, I would tell you, obviously, that you would be correct, um, that Proverbs tells us that we, don't, we should not spare the rod, right? But I want you to understand something, because some of you are already starting to squirm, you're starting to get nervous on me. Um, it is, it is an element that takes place in righteous discipline in the home, Right? Um, it, is, it is not, unfortunately, what has been perverted to to be a, a beating um, or a, 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 to injure or to harm. It was designed for little children to get their attention, right? That's right. It's, it's, to, it's to be able to get their attention to see what's going on because it's so much bigger than that. Because what is the discipline? It's the whole training and the bringing up of maturity for a child. So it becomes an element in there that, that's important. Proverbs thirteen twenty four to recite it and complete, it says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Look, I'm thankful for the discipline uh, of the rod in my life. Um, and, I, and I remember many of them vividly. Um, and they were, Im- they were impactful. Um, and they were done. And, they were, and I can say here, uh, my dad's in children's church today, but they were done righteously. Um, it was modeled in my home um, as a good, godly thing. Now, I know some of you did not experience that, and, 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 and I am sorry about that. Because when it's done correctly, um, it, is, it, is, it produces righteousness in your children. And it's important. But look, there's un- the unfortunate thing is, is it doesn't always, it's not happened, right? So discipline, when you talk about the rod, has to fit the offense, Right? It, it has to be done appropriately, and I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but I want to kind of paint a picture here that, first of all, just because your child makes a mistake is, is not where that comes into play. You know, yesterday I'm at home, and uh, somebody dumped a cup of paint. Um, and that's a big deal, right? But that's an accident. That's not something that is worthy in that scenario of something that would have needed that. But what it was was an opportunity to talk about clumsiness, um, and being mindful of what's around you, and also in some nations, you just sometimes you just dump things, right? Anybody ever dump anything? Now the flip side of it is, as a young child, and you're out there doing something, and you and they specifically do something. Let's say they throw a stick um, at your window of your house, right? And by God's grace, it did not break that first time. Um, so you give them clear, clear understanding that they do not have to do that again. And they turn right around, look at you. And they do it again. Well, in my home, that would have been an opportunity for the rod, right? (laughs) And it would not have been spared. But there was direct disobedience that took place. And when there is direct disobedience, there is a realignment that needs to take place in our children. And this is for young children. The Bible doesn't really give us an age, but this is designed for younger children. Obviously, at a certain point, it becomes abuse. Please, if you're telling me you're doing this to your 20-year-old son. Um, there's some concerns. Um, and if you talk to somebody that's required to tell the law, you might be in trouble. But the idea is, is it's, it's important, church. I mean, it's, Scripture gives this to us as a, as a very important element of disciplining because disciplining ultimately, remember, is the whole maturity of bringing up a child in God's ways. So sometimes it's, it's, it's obviously the removal of certain Things of certain, um, you know, gaming devices or certain um, opportunities they have to go sleep at friends' houses or, I mean, you name it. The list goes on and on. We, we, as we develop as parents, we look for different ways, obviously, because you want to make a clear stand for righteousness in that moment. And, what, and you want to, because it's, it's not one or the other. There's no gray area. There's, the scripture tells us and that there's a practice of sinning and there's a practice of righteousness, it's one or the other. And we, and we have to be, as parents, make clear lines on where that is. We, don't need to, we have to be consistent in that that we can repeat it over and over again. Because remember, we're not just trying to modify behavior. We are cultivating a heart change in our children. And, and we're cultivating a heart change that points them to Christ, that they see Christ. So he says discipline and instruction. So that means they work hand in hand. Discipline and instruction happen simultaneously. When you talk about the word instruction, it defines as calling attention to. Calling attention to. There's an admonition, an exhortation, gentle correction that takes place. We, we instruct. We bring clarity to it. And it's really not speaking so much to facts, right, but to in respect to a behavior. So you went this way. But this is, this is the way that God shows us we should have gone. And it's in those moments that I've found that I've had the opportunity to, to speak to who they were as a child of God. You know, as, as you did this certain thing in class, what, what brought you to that point? Were you around certain people? Were you around certain situations? Were you doing what the teacher asked you to do? As you'll find out, a lot of my stories revolve around school and there's this picture there that we want to we want them to begin to see why they went where they went and ultimately we want to see it's it's because of it's it's what they're capable of outside of Christ obviously but at what point did you say you know I probably should not have done that now if they if they obviously had no clue then that gives you other areas to move into with your children right? But this uh, this idea of instructing, you bring them alongside, you point on the scripture, you show them where it was, and then most importantly, obviously, we we want them to not do it again. But parents, you want your children to be able to come to you and let you know the next time that they do mess up, that it's not something that they they hide from you. I was talking to one of them a couple weeks ago, and we were working through something that was going on, and as we were talking about it, I said, you know, I said, I when I ask you how it's going in a week from now, I don't want just the right answer. I, I want the truth. I want to know the reality because if you don't tell me the truth, then you don't have a problem. And there's nothing that I can help you with and there's nothing that you have to fix. And, this, and you know what's tough about that, parents? You might find out some things you didn't want to hear. You might have found something you didn't want to know. You didn't want to know that they spoke like that or they said something like that or they did something like that. But your children will make mistakes. Your children will do things that you don't want them to do. But you need to be the single influence in their life for righteousness and for holiness so that when they come to you, first of all, you celebrate the very fact that they have approached you about that problem. Then you talk through it, and you, and you have compassion, and you draw clear lines. You always draw clear lines to the righteousness of God. It's never a pacification of what they did. You speak truth, but you do it in love. And you show them where God's bringing them and where God's moving them. Don't miss the opportunity in those times to admit when you do it wrong as well. I think so many times as we go through this, we see We're there, we're the instructor, we're the, we're the discipler, we're the single source for discipling our children, and then all of a sudden we make a similar mistake to what we've talked to them about. Parents, be quick to let your children know when you make mistakes, when you get it wrong, when you tell them the wrong thing, when you treat them the wrong way, when you lose your temper, when you say things you shouldn't have said, because that too, is instruction. That too shows them, not only in your words, but now it begins to show them in your deeds that you believe this thing. That the God that's working in your life, that you're telling them needs to work in their life, is real. And that you are cultivating a heart that's quick to respond to the righteousness of God. Be quick to admit And I can tell you in the times that that I've had the opportunity to, those have been some of the best times. Because you're able to share, and you're able to talk, and you're able to open up And most of you, and some of you may say, well, that just, maybe that's going to show weakness, or maybe that's going to show them that I don't really practice what I preach and so forth. No, it's going to show them that you're real. And it's going to show them that you are desperate for a Savior each and every day. That you two get up every day and you have to be intentional to dig into the Word of God. That as a husband and a wife, you are a, a unit. You are one in the same, just as Christ tells us. And when they look at your relationship, they see the same thing. That when mom says goes and what dad says goes, and they're in perfect alignment of who Christ is and the change that's happened. That the husband and the, and the mother and the wife are working to cultivate this child and show them who Christ is and to be the discipler in their life as children. They're not going to get it from somewhere else because they're going to get it in my home. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that needs to be where you stand today. Maybe you don't. And as we, as we get ready to close here, I want to I do something to kind of c- celebrate parents. Because it's a tough job, like I said in the beginning. And we go through the scripture here and it tells us clearly how to do it. And now we've got to begin to walk it out. So I'm going to ask something of you here, but I specifically are going to start with the younger people because you've got the most endurance. Um, but I want us to see something. So first of all, if, if you're in this room right now, and there's a high probability you may be in comfort corner so if you are we love you if you have children from the age of 0 to 5 I'd like for you to stand up 0 to 5 just as you look across this room some of you it's your first run at 0 to 5 and some of you it's your second or possibly third run at 0 to 5 so your perspective's a little different but specifically speaking to that zero to five-year-old right now, you're dealing with the excitement of, of bringing a baby home. You're dealing with the struggles of no sleep. You're dealing with uh, diaper training, right? You're dealing with changing diapers. You're dealing with spit up. You know, when I was thinking about spit up, and I saw Justin Owens up here, and a few weeks ago, and that sounds a little strange, but a few weeks ago we were at a 4-H show. And Justin brought his family there um, to show them the animals, and I'm sitting there talking to him. And, um, I, I guess it would have been Ivy. Um, she spit up all over his shirt, which is pretty normal, right? For, for babies that are, you all aware of that. You know, when it was me, with my kid, I was like, oh, I, I had a new shirt. You know, I'd have been taking that shirt off. And Justin just goes, rubs that in, and I said, that is a man. <laughs> that's a man right there, right? But that's where you guys are. You're in those nasty moments of just gross things, and they're so cute when they sleep, right? They're so cute when they sleep. But the next group, if you have children of 6 to 11, in the ages of 6 to 11, stand up. Now, if you, But stay standing. That's why I told you, the young ones stay first, because you're here for the duration. Ages 6 to 11. So this would be called kind of like middle middle childhood, right? Um, they're starting school. They're so cute. They have kindergarten graduation. What is that? Congratulations, you've colored for a year. Thank you very much. Um, school's exciting. You're, you're in parent drop-off line. You're possibly having your first experiences with a school bus and Uh, You're probably hoping that they never do that again. Um, You know, they're beginning to be little people, and uh, once again, they're so cute when they're sleeping. Um, You know, they're beginning to eat a little bit more on their own, uh, but it's still everywhere. You know, when I was, when we were this age, I I wanted to come up with some kind of a big drain pan to put around my kid's high chair, right, and work that somehow into the plumbing of my house, um, because there's just, they still, they still gross, they still do nasty things. But the next group, those of you who are 12-year-old to 17-year-olds. Anybody 12 to 17? And some of you are like, all right, my, my, my number's been called again, right? you got kids 12 to 17. you got that tween age getting into, starting to get into high school. Um, we have a 12-year-old, and they know everything. Have you all noticed that? It's something that happens at 12, It's amazing that they know everything, Um, but, you know, they're beginning to be involved in sports, you know, real, you know, what we would consider some of the real life things start happening. They start coming home and they tell you things, and when you walk away and you talk to your wife, you're like, no way, this happens, right, and you get to bring discipline and instruction in those moments, and it's not always something they did, right? It's something else that happens around them. There's some just some appalling thing that takes place, but they're beginning to develop in where they're gonna where they're gonna go after school. You begin having conversations about what do you want to be when you grow up, and what do you want to do, and so forth. And one of the things I do whenever all, any of the kids have friends come over, and it always seems to get a good laugh, and I probably slightly irritate them, is I ask them, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And, they, and most times you get that look, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? Where, where, are you, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Have you, con- have you considered, um, you know, how many kids you want to have? And, you know, I just kind of ask some ridiculous questions. But the truth is, is, at that age, they just, they start to have a lot of questions. Things start to be being brought up. And they get into high school. And they're working closer and closer to graduation. And... Um, they spend less and less time at your house, it seems like, right? They want to go to this person's house, they want to get this person's. If this is the age where they get a driver's license, right? I can remember when I got my driver's license, it was 15, was the allowable age. I should have not been allowed to drive. The state of Louisiana is crazy. I should not have been allowed to drive. And, but we do, Right? And there was appropriate things and I was required to pay for certain elements of my insurance and so forth. But they begin to drive and they begin to become more and more independent. And we have different conversations. And the next group is anybody here with parent, kids from the ages of 18 to 25? 18 to 25. So then at this point, there's the, you know, there's the kicking them out of the nest uh, process that takes place. Or, or they think that that is their nest, right? And and you got to begin to let them know that this ain't their nest. And, and, and this nest costs money now if you want to be in this nest. Um, and different things develop. They, some of them take the path of school. Some of them get into a career. Um, and they go in different directions. Some of them move out of the area. you got to deal with them going somewhere else. And I thought my kid was always going to stay here. I didn't think they would ever leave. Some of them do. God is calling them in the way in which they should go. So different things happen, different things take place, and even in this age, some of them are getting engaged. You know, they found the love of their life. They're um, possibly asking for permission from you as the dad. Your daughters um, wanting to get married. Um, Rachel and I were we we were married at twenty years old, which you know at the time I thought I was the most mature person. and it was definitely God's hand. But when I look back and say 20 years old, wow, that's crazy. It's no wonder why my father-in-law told me no um, initially. Actually, I'll go ahead and tell you that story because he's here today. Um, we, were, we were going to the lumber yard. And, you know, Rachel and I had already talked about it. And we were planning um, that I was going to ask him. And I said, you know, I said, hey, uh, father-in-law, uh, I don't remember exactly how I went. But basically, uh, I'd, li- I'd like to marry your daughter. And, and he may have said something along the lines of, uh, how many years? I'm like, "Oh no, 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 like, this, like I'm asking. Um, well, I, I, I just I don't think that's a good timing. <laughs> so, so we got what we needed in the lumber yard, and, and I said, well, I guess, guess that's it. <laughs> I said, let's try again, you know, six months. I'm not sure. So I get home, and Rachel's like, what did he say? I was like, he said, not now. <laughs> she said, What? I'm going to talk to him right now. So uh, she convinced him. He caved. You know, and it was obviously, it was for good reason. And I, and I had, you know, I can say that I was committed to not doing it because guess what? There's no way of you knowing otherwise. Um, but those are big things that happened at that time in life. Uh, I mean, some of us even started having children by age 25. We did. Um, and you begin to do this. And then for the next group, anybody with children over the age of 25. So that means over the age of 25. See why I saved it to the end for this group? So at this point of your life, most of you have uh, what you feel like to have no influence at all on your kids. They are their own adults. They do what they want to do. They have not maybe made the decision that you hoped they would have made. Uh, you don't feel like they went the way in which um, God is calling them, and, and, and all of that could be very true. But for all of us here, what we need to understand is, first of all, this: the idea of parenting never never ends. Um, we are called to bring, and you know, of course the discipline obviously changes in some ways, but instruction and coaching and development through their lives. And then to the day I die, and to the day my father passes and my mother passes, I pray that I can go to them with questions. And, that, and not only that, that they would speak into my life. I can remember as a young man being married and my dad pulling me aside and saying, um, I don't think you probably should have said what you said about your wife, even though it was jokingly. Um, you know, I saw what happened there with your kid and I understand why but this is what you need to be cautioned of so the role of a parent doesn't just all of a sudden end it just changes and it develops but I want to leave you with this um, as an ultimate amount of, of encouragement as I can for you is that firstly it's done all of this has happened because of who you are in Christ and that's what matters and if you look around this room right now the great majority of everyone is standing in here this idea of parenting affects people constantly, over and over. It is the overwhelming uh, part of the church body that takes place. Because other than for probably a few of you here, almost every person passes through this. You are all a child. You all were parented. And the majority of you will be parents one day. So as we went through these different age groups and as you, as you looked at one another. each other, I encourage you to speak speak life into the people that you see around you, that when they're struggling in a certain situation, when they're moving through, maybe it's something you've experienced. I know countless times in me and Rachel's lives, we've had people pour into our lives and say, either it's okay or celebrate it or say, you know what? It's going to be okay. They put it into perspective for you because those that have gone before us have seen and have understand, and they understand what God has for them. But most importantly, this is a line that I use all the time, your kids are not your report card. Your kids are not your report card as parents. And they have individual lives. They have a calling on their life. They have to respond to the Lord and Savior just as you did. And your kids are not your report card because what happens if you see it that way is you're going to react that way. And that means when they do something you don't like, you're going to work to mitigate that mistake. And you're going to work to lessen the effect that it has on you. And that's not what God's called us to, his parents. He's called us to taking a stand for righteousness and discipling our children unto Christ and bringing them to a place where they understand the reality of who God is and necessity for him in their lives. God, as we stand here this morning, I thank you. For your church, and I thank you for every person here that's a parent, Father, that is in this situation from someone that's brought home a brand-new baby to someone that's got an adult child in their 60s. God, I pray, Father, that you would speak life into your church and that you would let them know that they're not alone in this battle and that the commandments here, Father, are good and, God, are well for them, Father, and it will help them in this process. God, that our other believers would come alongside them. God, and we would be a church that is intentional on the study of God's word. That we would disciple our children well. God, that we would set into motion, God, what you have for them. And God, that we could stand back years later, God, and see the faithfulness of who you are, God. God, let us never abandon, God, the sovereignty of who you are and the impact of your word. God, give these parents strength. God, let them be of courage. God, let them walk, Father, in who you are. And we thank you for this day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And you are dismissed.